we are following the Israelites in their journey through the wilderness. And as we kind of survey the scene when they left Egypt and they went to the promised land, we find not only footprints in the sand, but heel marks, signs of spiritual resistance. And the question we're trying to answer is why? Why did they not, or were they not able to take hold of the promises that were extended to them? They were led to the promised land, why weren't they able to enter in? The writer um, gives us an answer, says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And what he suggests is the thing that happened in the wilderness, if we were to point, there's all kinds of symptoms there was discouragement and grumbling. There was disbelief, disappointment. But if you take all those things and try to find the root of the problem, the writer suggests that it comes down to this. They never really figured out how to enter God's rest. And their inability to enter God's rest led to the grumbling and the resentment and the remorse, and the different things that occurred. Um, this is important to know. Thoreau uh, said, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one striking at the root. And what he says is that it's common to fix, try to fix problems that are not really the problem. And what that looks like, applied spiritually, we try to make ourselves not want things that are bad for us. We try really hard to control our thoughts and attitudes. And we really try to, to want to do things that are good for us. And this is important, but these are branches. And what Thoreau says is for every thousand hacking at the branches, there's one striking through. What in the world does it mean to strike at the root? How do we get to the root of behaviors that we'd like to not do as often? And what the writer feels says is it's it really comes down to entering God's rest that's how to deal with the root and you deal with the root the branches take care of themselves how do we do that how do we enter God's rest so let's try to talk about that a little bit um, writer says let us therefore again strive to enter that rest we've talked about it before but make every effort to strive it comes from the word which from which we get the word speed so here's what it's saying. Rest and be quick about it. Rest and be quick. Hurry up and rest. Uh, if you want to do one thing, if you want to make one thing your objective this Easter in order to draw closer, here's the thing. Make every effort to enter his rest. Priority one. That's what this writer is indicating. Um, he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Rest be quick about it so that no one will fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any twitched sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Doesn't sound very restful being analyzed by judgment, decide, discerning between joints and marrow, thoughts and attitudes. And what the writer goes to, well, look where he lands. 
And this is as he moves us towards entering God's rest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It invites us to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think for all of us, when we're in a time of need, no matter what it is, if it's emotional or financial or relational, no matter what it is, would you agree? In that time, if we could have access to mercy and grace, that would be a wonderful thing to experience in a time of need. Would you agree? What it's describing for us is that we can, I, we can access those things, and in order to receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need, what we're invited to do, commanded really, is to approach the throne of grace with confidence. You know what grace is. It's getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting a gift that you don't deserve. It describes God's throne as a throne of grace, where you get good things that you don't deserve. It tells us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And we've talked about that word. The word for confidence, it literally is to and speak freely. So here's the deal. You're in a time of need, and what God says is that I want you to come to the throne of grace, a place you receive mercy and find grace. And when you come to the throne of grace, what I want you to do, I want you to talk to me. I want you to tell me about what's on your heart. And if you talk to me, and if you open your heart at this throne of grace, you'll receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what he's, he's telling us to do. And we find in entering God's rest that the writer gives us two things to hold on to. So in order to be able to enter God's rest, it gives us two things that help us to make our way there. Um, number one is the sympathy of the Son. Talk about Jesus, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus experienced restlessness. He sympathizes with agitation. When you're in a time of need, somebody who understands what it's like to be in a time of need is easier to open up to. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Why does he sympathize with our weaknesses? Because if we understand he sympathizes, we are going to find our way to the throne of grace more quickly and more comfortably. We're going to be able to go there because Jesus understands what it's like to be in a time of need. So his sympathy is something that helps us to approach the throne of grace and tell God what we need in a time of need. Um, it's not only the sympathy of the Son, but there's also the sovereignty of the Father. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's presence is a throne and it's the throne of grace. The sympathy of the Son and the sovereignty of the Father. Remember that prayer? God is great. God is good. 
We use it for meals. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. So it's helpful to know that God is great and he is good. And he's not just sympathetic. He's not just good, but he's great, sovereign. God is great and God is good. There's a verse that says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. The word be still, we've talked about it before. It, it literally means cease striving. The, the image we've done it before, it's the, the kind of the, the body posture to be still. I'm not going to have you do it because it really does feel kind of quirky. It's to let your arms hang limp at your side. And again, you're, because it feels, we don't do this very often. We don't let our hands hang limp at our side. But that's, this is really what be still looks like. And when you're in a time of need, before dialing the phone or before making the call, before doing the to-do list, what God says, write this, and again, no. Let your arms hang limp at your side. Be still. When he says, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the nations, and I'm going to be exalted in the earth. We have to hold on to both things. If you know somebody who's caring, but not powerful, it's hard to really trust them. It's nice that they're caring, but when you're in a time of need, you need somebody not just to care, but to be able to make some things happen. And sometimes somebody is very caring, but they can't make anything happen, and you really can't find rest. It's nice to be heard. Other times, there's somebody who can make something happen. They do take charge, but they're not very caring. And that's hard to find rest as well. If you can find a person who is both loving and strong, that's a person that you can find rest in. They not only care, but they can do something about it. That's what God's like. And he would have us, when thinking about approaching the throne of grace and speaking freely, look at two things. And as you're walking towards God and thinking about talking to him, think about two things in your mind. The sympathy of the Son and the sovereignty of the Father. Jesus understands what it's like to be in a time of need, and the Father's going to say, be still. Um, we are invited to speak freely with God when we struggle, when we're in a time of need. This is what Jesus did. Look what it says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, and it's going to describe, it's going to t say that Jesus learned something. Again, this is the only place in the Bible I'm familiar with where it says Jesus and he learned something. What in the world did Jesus need to learn? He was the Son of God. It says, well, read the verse. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. That word offered up when in the Old Testament, priests offered up animal sacrifices. It uses this word. They offered up sacrifices. And the New Testament equivalent for Old Testament sacrifices, we don't offer sacrifices anymore. The New Testament equivalent for Old Testament sacrifices is what do you offer up on this side of the cross? Not animals, but prayers. Offered up prayers with loud cries and tears. That's what Jesus did. And that was accepted as an offering. We you know what God wants from us? 
You know what he wants from you? He really wants you to learn to speak freely with him. And what he tells you in order to do that is he says the son sympathizes with you. He knows what it's like to be restless. He knows what it's like to be agitated. And there's not only the sympathy of the son, but there's the sovereignty of the father. There's somebody good and great. And the reason he tells you that is so that you'll approach the throne of grace and speak freely with him. You. And it doesn't need to be out loud. It can be quiet and it doesn't need to be a form prayer. He just wants you to pour your heart to him. Why would we do that? It's what Jesus did. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who would save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. There it is. We talked about it, that word obedience, what it means. It's not just doing the right thing. It comes from two words, under and listen. When you're in a time of need, things are really turbulent. Aren't they? Don't they? They get loud, don't they? When you're in a time of need and you think, why did that's very loud in our heads. You know what Jesus had to learn? He had to learn to under listen. When he was in a time of need, to under listen, to tune in the Father and talk to him. Tune in the Father. What is he saying to me? And to talk to him, to listen and speak. You know what he's talking about? Approaching the throne of grace, talking to him. This is what Jesus had to learn. Jesus understood the Father was sympathetic and sovereign. He didn't, some of us struggle with an image of God that makes him maybe good, but not great. Maybe he's loving, but just not very powerful. Some of us struggle with another image that he's great and harsh and he's not good. And that can trip us up. Jesus would have us understand that he's sympathetic and sovereign. The reason why he would do that is not just so that you would think the right things. It really is what he wants to teach us. In a time of need, he wants us to approach the throne of grace and speak freely with him. God, I don't know what I'm going to do at work. I don't know what I'm going to do in my relationship. I don't know what I'm going to do at school. I feel this and I feel that. They say this and they say that, and I don't know where to go. I have friends that care, but they can't do anything about it. This is what Jesus had to learn. When Jesus was growing up, he learned to offer up prayers and sacrifices. He was heard because of his reverent submission. And it says that he prayed to the one who was able to save him from death. How'd that prayer work? But he was delivered from death, wasn't he? He died, and God reached down into the grave and answered Jesus' prayer and raised him from the dead. During his life on earth, again, he learned obedience. Why did he have to learn obedience? Really? Why? Why did he have to learn? Did, he, did that make him closer to God? that make him more loved by God? No, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus didn't need to talk to God to be a son. Let me tell you something. If you talk to God, it's not going to work out that God will love you more. It's not, if you don't talk to me, I won't love you. 
But if you do talk to me, I will. It's not just about closeness because our relationship with the Father is dependent on what Jesus did at the cross, and that work is done. God raised him from the dead. You know what that means? Acceptance is a done deal. It's not about being close. Well, why would you do that? Really? Why approach the throne of grace and speak freely? Why should I bother to talk to God at all? It's not because it'll make you closer to God. You know what it will do? It'll make you useful. Useful. So it says, um, Jesus didn't need to, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became a source. You know, what you, you know the reason why we learn to talk to God? Not that we can be sons and daughters, so that we can be sources, so we can be useful. So as we learn to approach the throne of grace, it allows us to learn to be a little more, well, to be what, what Jesus was like. Do you know why Jesus was able to be humble and gentle? Because he spent a lifetime learning how to enter God's rest. He did it all his life. He, he talked to God and, and he developed the ability to enter God's rest. And that allowed him, when he faced things, he, he was struck by them, but he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. I would dare say, in our time of need, you know what we want more than anything? Not to be alone. Would you agree with me? Not to be alone. It's really hard to be surrounded by people who love you and to still feel alone because they love me, but they can't fix it. Or they can fix it, but they don't love me. God is the one who does both. He loves you, and he can fix it. He's strong and sovereign. Um, those who represent God must be able to deal gently. It says every high priest, every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he is able to deal gently. Let me tell you what that word means, gently. It, it means moderately passioned. It means somebody who doesn't become overjoyed or overwrought. It's somebody who is non-reactive. And when it says a high priest, somebody who understands what it's like to live as a spirit and a body, like Jesus did, he's not going to really be surprised at us. He's not going to go, oh, oh my goodness. Or he's not going to go, that, that was wonderful. <laughs> and that's the image here. He's moderately passionate. You know why? He knows us too well to be surprised by anything that we do or think. That's what it means that he's able to deal gently. God's not surprised by you. You know, when we do things, sometimes people will say, I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed. I'm disillusioned. I was under the illusion that you were like this, and then you did that. God will never tell you, I'm disillusioned with you. Because he's never illusioned about you in the first place. He's never going to say, I'm disappointed with you, because he knows us too well. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Who is that? He's able to deal gently 
with those who are ignorant and going astray. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Not surprised. Doesn't distance. You know what he says? Be still. I am God. I'll be exalted in the nations and on earth. I'm incredibly strong and incredibly loving. You know what I want you to do? I want you to learn to talk to me. And that's why I tell you that my son sympathizes and that I'm sovereign, because I want you to learn to talk to me. That's what he says. Jesus' sacrifice enabled him to deal gently with us. You know what the deal is? We tend to miss this. God is not, if God is at rest, let's just, if God is at rest, does your disobedience make God restless? If God is up in heaven and you do something wrong, does God go, oh, that, that, that's it. You know, in fact, you know what I've heard, I was growing up that anybody, when kids run in church, God hates that. You know, Sunday must be God's worst day because kids are running around in church all over. You know, what am I saying? We tend to believe and we tend to hear that uh, our disobedience make God angry and upset, disappointed. No, that's not true. God doesn't become like that. God is at rest. And your disobedience doesn't wreck God's day. And you need to know that because if you think your disobedience wrecks God's day, God is too little. But it doesn't. Um, God's not restless. Those who represent God must be able to deal gently with others who go astray. That's like Jesus, and he wants us to be gentle too. Look what it says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with others in love. What humility is? Humility is vertical. It's between you and God. Gentleness is horizontal. It's between you and others. Vertical is between you and God. And you know what he says? Humble yourself before me. It's defer to him. Say, God, your will be done. Now, why would you do that to him? Well, here's something. Because he's sympathetic and sovereign, and you can trust him. So, humble yourself before him. And if you do that, humble is vertical, gentle is horizontal, and it's how we treat one another. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Humility this way, gentleness this way. When somebody is going to be walking with you, you can be gentler with others. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. Um, in order to be useful to God, we have to enter God's rest and learn to be humble and gentle because that's what Jesus was like. We have to learn to listen to him and cry out to him. I put a sheet in there just to be able to have, and we're just going to go through it. There's a sheet about the four steps of entering into God's rest. I'm just going to go over them um, briefly to give you something practical. Um, it says, let us therefore make every effort to enter 
that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And then look what it says in Psalm 62. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. I want to point out, to trust in God is to pour out your hearts to Him. That's what it means. Trusting God doesn't mean, well, I can't say that because God already knows what I need. No, to trust Him, you pour out your heart to Him. It's what Jesus learned. It's what He wants us to learn. And look what it talks about in order to pour out your heart to God. It tells us, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O God, are loving. That's the balance. Strength and love. Great and good. Sovereign, sympathetic. We need both of them. If he's good but not great, we can't trust him. Great but not good. But if he's both, we can come to him. We can come to him. In order to pour out our heart, we need somebody strong enough that they won't be crushed, strong enough, or loving enough that they won't be bored. A couple of things when you're thinking of it, this is not a way, this is not specific, just things when I pray and I think about these things. It's kind of things that I run through, and I'll, I'll just run through them quick. Um, number step one, and let's say start here. I look at me. Before you look at God, look at yourself. We tend to dismiss the things and what I'm aware of, and it says, Father, I feel agitated and restless. Again, this is not, I'm not telling you how to pray. I'm telling you, these are some of the things that, well, because I think as sheep, we get restless. And so it would make sense that, if you were to turn toward God and we, we look at ourselves, that's how I'm able to say, God, I feel restless. I feel agitated. Anybody know what agitation and restlessness feel like? Every hand. Every, we all know what they're like. We all feel that way. Jesus felt that. So we start that, Father, I feel agitated and restless. And the fact is, I don't have what I want to have. I don't do what I want to do. I don't think what I want to think. I don't feel what I want to feel. And the reason is because we're spirit beings in a mortal body, and our desires go this way. We, and again, we don't have what we want to have, do, think, and feel, because that's just not going to happen this side of eternity. We tend to blame somebody for it. We blame ourselves. or blame It's nobody's fault. You know, God wants us to touch that. Don't blame anyone. Oh, it's his fault. It, yeah, they might have done something, but it's really in us. You know what he wants you to do? Touch your restlessness. Admit it. Talk to God about it. God, you know what? I'm restless. I don't have what I want to have. I don't have the friends I want to have. I don't have the life I want to have. I don't have the job I want to have. I don't have the car I want to have. I don't have the... Tell him. And just know that he's not going to get rid of the tension because Jesus had to live with it. You know what he wants us to do? You know it by now, don't you? Touch your tension and touch his hand at the same time. That's what he wants. Walk through life like this. Touch the reality of what you feel and touch his hand. I look at me. That's where it starts. Secondly, 
you look at me, and this is what I think about Jesus specifically. Because Jesus was an embodied spirit being like we are. And Jesus, you see me. And it really is true. He sees you. He understands why you feel what you feel. He understands why you might be here and not, you know what I mean? He just sees you. Not only that, um, you sim he sympathizes with you. And I think of that, Jesus, you, sim you see me, you sympathize with me. You know what it's like to feel restless. He does. Jesus knows what it's like to feel restless. Like you feel. He sympathizes with you. Recognize that. Tell him, Jesus, thank you. You see me. You understand why I feel like I feel. You sympathize with me. You deal gently with me. He knows you too well to be frustrated with you or surprised. So I look at me. You look at me. I think of Jesus then. You speak to me. I think of the Father then. The Father speaking and saying, Father, you tell me to be still, to let my hands hang limp at my side. That's what he wants. You tell me to know that you are God. You promise that you will never leave me. You will never cast me adrift. That's what it means. God will never untie you so that you float down the river of life at the whim of fate. He will not do that to you. He will not do that to you. He won't do it so that, oh, okay, my hands are tied, I can't. He will not let go of you. That's what it says. And he will not cast you adrift, and he will not forsake you or leave you behind. God promises never to leave somebody in a bad place, unescorted and unattended. He just won't do it. That's what he tells you. So I look at me. Think about what you think. You look at me. Think about Jesus looking at you, seeing, sympathizing, dealing gently. And then the Father says, be, be still. I will never leave you. Think about that when you talk to him. God, thanks you. You'll never leave me and never forsake me. And then talk to him. I look at me. You look at me. You speak to me now. You've touched sympathy and sovereignty. Talk to him. And it might be, I think, wisdom. God, give me the wisdom today to see this world in my life as you do. These are my requests today. Ask him for what you want. Ask him, give me the peace so that your words don't get choked by my anxiety. That happens to us. His words get choked. And so help, say, God, help me to have peace today. Give me strength, which will allow me to be content today. And you'll notice that all these prayers are about which day? Today. Hardest day to trust God? Today. And that's learn to talk to him a day at a time. Again, you say, Mike, I'm like, not talking to him every day. I, I know, I know. Well, but if you want to do anything in order to try to be the person God wants you to be, this is the deal. Approach the throne of grace and speak freely. Practice coming before God. Make every effort. And don't do it to be more loved. You cannot be any more loved. Really, really. You cannot be any more loved than you are right now. God's relationship with you is based on what Christ already did. He already died. God already raised him from the dead. Through faith in that, it is done. So I'm not standing up here telling you, you better talk to God or he won't love you. That's not the deal. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to learn to be more gentle and humble. How do we do that? Approach the throne of grace and learn to talk with him. 
to speak freely with him. Practice that. Go practice anything. Make every effort to enter God's rest. Every effort. Let's stand for a closing song. Father, thank you for um, inviting us to enter your rest. Thanks for sending your son so that we could know that we were sympathized with. You invite us to come to the throne of grace, receive mercy and find grace to help. Something Jesus learned to tune you in in the midst of difficult things. It's not something that we can learn all at once. Jesus didn't learn it all at once. It's something that he practiced during his life. And so when it came the time to go to the cross, he had developed the ability to enter your rest. We can't wait for a crisis to do that. So I'd ask that you, little by little, day by day, step by step, that we would make every effort to enter your rest and learn how to talk to you in a time of need. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.